You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey Jim, today's our anniversary. Mm, yes. Would you rather have a portrait of me or would you rather have me? Oh, as much as I like pictures of you, I would rather have you the substance over the image. I'm so glad. Yes. So we're going to talk about that today in Hebrews. The reality instead of the picture. Yes. Today on, on More, More Than, Than Ink. Good morning and welcome to our dining room table in More Than Ink. This is Dorothy. And this is Jim, and we really do sit at our dining room table. And we're so glad you're yeah. with us. Yeah, this is this is remarkable stuff. Last week, oh my gosh, last week we we went headfirst into the new covenant, oh. and it's just it's a remarkable change from the old covenant. Well, it's one of those things you never get over, right? When you've discovered it, it yeah. changes everything. Well, and it is so it's so radically new. <laughs> That even, even the naming of our Old and New Testament is from that, because Testament is the Latin version of covenant. So you could actually title the Old Testament the Old Covenant and the New mm-hmm. Testament the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. However, that's slightly unfair, because last week we read in Jeremiah 31 that the New Covenant is written in Jeremiah in the Old Testament. That's right. <laughs> so it's 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 sort of wrong division. Well, it is the promise exactly. of the new. Yeah. But the entirety of the New Testament, the entirety of the New Testament centers around the newness of the new covenant. And Which so, comes to us in Christ, in Christ who is yeah. the subject of the new Testament. Yep. The high priest who makes it possible for us to join him in the nearness of God. So that's not a bad distinction. So today, as we come into Hebrews 9, uh, he's he's gonna he's gonna help us understand how new the new covenant is by just doing a little retro tour back into the temple and the service back in Israel when the temple was there and existing and what goes on there and and he'll use this in the subsequent uh, time to really help us contrast because remember what what they did in the temple in the Old Testament was a copy and a shadow mm-hmm. of the larger reality and it was so much so that God said look Moses when you build this stuff when you build this tabernacle and you put all the stuff inside it has to follow a particular plan a particular design because in that design it actually shadows the reality of the real thing so do it specifically like this because it's a teaching it's tool it's a teaching tool to let you know what the what the hidden but more substantial reality is. So you need to dust off your Old Testament today. Yeah. Because we're we, going back. The Old Testament pictures, the temple, the tabernacle, actually the whole sacrificial system is a picture of this greater spiritual reality that exactly. God wants to teach. Now it was real, real people, real time, real place, really something that they did. They did it. Yeah. But it was all intended to tutor us, to lead us to Christ, as Paul says in Galatians. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I think sometimes we step into this trap of studying the picture as a roadmap to a ritual. 
Yeah. Right. Oh, this is the way they did it in the Old Testament. So we need to do that, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But here under the new covenant, God is saying, now, I want you to understand that I've given you this picture so you can study it for its meaning. Yeah. And now I'll tell you what it means. Yeah. Look at it like a little like an elementary school text and see what it is. But it's pointing you to the bigger reality. But you can learn from it. And it's very useful. And God did it deliberately so that we'll understand more clearly. And partly what happened with the nation of Israel in those days with that they became so enamored with the ritual yeah. that the heart drained right. away. Right. Well, we are subject to the same danger. Exactly. We're vulnerable to right. that David as well. wrote about it in his psalm. He says, That's you know, right. you're not requiring sacrifices. You want a broken right. and contrite and heart. Psalm 51 created yeah. me a clean yeah. heart. There is that longing for yeah. the reality of the new covenant so in David, David. David understood. I think many at the time understood. Mm-hmm. They got it. They really got the picture. It's a little more opaque to us, but they got the picture, you know, yeah. that, that really we all have deep, deep down problems with sin and God's looking for a contrite heart, a broken heart. heart. So, you know, God had said that to them clear back in Deuteronomy. He said, circumcise your heart. Circumcise your hearts. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are internally, But by the which then plays out in what you do. Yeah, yeah. And by the time of Jesus, they had so enshrined the shadow things, the rituals, that they missed the core, the heart of the Mm -hmm. thing. Well, it, it, by the time of Jesus, it was kind of wearing out its welcome yeah. <laughs> old covenant. And so that's what he's writing about here, is that now we're in this new covenant. So, so. let me just review for a second, because yeah. these, these things are really important. The, these primary contrasts between the old covenant and the new. The old covenant was written on stone, on stone. and imposed externally. Right. The new covenant is written on hearts and internally implanted. The exactly. old covenant was based on human will and human power. Yup, yup, we'll do it. Whereas the new covenant is based on God's power to transform that, us from that within. That human willpower was flawed right. and insufficient. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you could you could almost say that the the law, the Old Testament law, was given not so much to tell us how to make ourselves better, but to illustrate the fact that we can't. We can't. <laughs> well, I think that's no. what Paul means when he says the law is your tutor to law lead you to tutor. Christ. It should take you someplace else. Don't get stuck there. Right. It should take you someplace else. Well, let's let's do our retro view into the old covenant. Okay. In the in chapter nine of Hebrews, that's what he's doing. We're talking about this earthly tent. Uh, you want me to, to start? Yeah, into go ahead. Okay. But, I, but have your Old Testament ready because we're going to yeah. look at Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and maybe even Deuteronomy. And, and I have a couple of Isaiah passages written yeah. down. So, you know, you, you're going to need to jot these down. And by the way, we know these cross-references not because we're brilliant. <laughs> But because they're in the column of your Bible. They're in the column of your Bible. <laughs> and that's why that's such a great Bible resource. If you see those little references, man, go chase those down. And we're going to mention them here. Yeah. So you can write them on a side piece of paper as you go. Or come on, just open up your Bible and look at the same place we looked, the side column references. Okay. But let me just make an argument here for just reading these Old Testament books. Yeah. Because lots of people have never actually read true. Exodus. That's as true. A, it is a ripping good story. It's a good story. Now, yeah. there are whole big segments that are deep details of the laws and the ordinances Mm -hmm. but if you just focus on the unfolding of the story it's a remarkable story of god bringing his people out giving them himself Mm -hmm. and a way to live in his presence it's remarkable yeah it's a great story and it's a it's a great metaphor for god bringing us out of the captivity of sin into a new place of life which is what the whole celebration of passover is about yeah and boy we don't have time to go into all that stuff sorry (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's Distraction. More, it, it is a good story, but it's a good story with a purpose that's for us yes. in terms of our personal experience. Okay, so here we go. So read your Old Testament. Here we okay, go. go we're going to jump. We're going to do our <laughs> retro tour into the Old Covenant, which the writer of Hebrews says is important so we can get the contrast. So here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. That's the tabernacle, and that's the portable temple. The they had, movable temple. The movable mm-hmm. temple they had in the, the desert. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It's it's called the holy place. And then behind the second curtain, this is inside the the tent. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And then above it, above the ark, were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And of these things, we, we can't now speak in detail. Well, let's just stop but right there before we go. Let's do a little. We'll do a little. <laughs> <laughs> we can't stop ourselves. <laughs> well, we have more time than the writer of Hebrews did. <laughs> so he details that inside inside the, the structure of that tent, there is a, there's actually two rooms inside. There's a, the front one you walk into, and then there's a back one that has another separated by this curtain by this veil we call it two different rooms yeah but when we say veil we think of something wispy and thin this was a substantial light blocking it was drape it was a big fat piece of cloth yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and you can read the description of it in exodus you can actually yeah it's (laughs) it's really quite something you know and when you come into the tabernacle into the tent you'd be in that first room you'd see on the opposite side of the room the fact that this big tent's been cut in half by this substantial piece Mm -hmm. of cloth i mean it's like you know no entry you might as well put a no entry sign there because it's it's deliberately blocking and there was imagery woven into it in gold oh yeah imagery of cherubim who guard the holiness of god that's also it's Documented in the Old Testament, what's on that. Yeah, so it was a very clear barrier. Mm -hmm. So in this first room he talks about, uh, it's called the holy place. That's what he introduces in in verse 2. And in there is the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. Mm. The light and the bread. The light and the bread. And Jesus said. What does that point to? I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the the world. (laughs) Yeah, I am. Remember, he said something greater than the temple is here. Right. 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 The glory of God is walking among you in the flesh. And it's a, again, we could spend hours just sitting oh here goodness. looking at it and reflecting on what this means, especially coming from the New Testament, what Jesus taught. But what an incredible thing that here you are, you know, you're close to the presence of God because he's on the other side of that curtain. But even this close to him, there's something about the fact that being, being in his proximity is light and bread or light, which is a way of understanding how things really are. Mm-hmm. If you live in a dark place, I always have to reference going camping because that's the only time I don't yeah. have any light in my life is when I go camping you know well when you're camping you know and you're walking outside your tent you can't see anything you, you, you just desperately need light to see the way things are well we live in a very dark place and to see the way things really are we need light from an outside source and that's that comes from mm-hmm. god so here you are close to god but not quite in his presence yet and he provides you with light to and be able to see things bread, the way they are which is a metaphor for the stuff that keeps you alive the necessary food the necessary sufficiency for life mm-hmm. every day yeah and so coming into the presence of god comes from that yeah that so yeah uh 
Yeah, God gave them manna in the desert so that they might know that man does not live by bread alone, mm-hmm. but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we could go into that forever. But yeah, the, well, we may circle back to that. Yeah, the, sim- <laughs> the symbolism as you come into that first room where you see this lampstand with these lights on it, you know, and it, and the whole tent itself is is light sealed, so it's, it's dark. only lit by that lampstand. It's only lit mm-hmm. by that light lampstand, and then and then there's that table. And the table that has the bread on it. And uh, and, and it's all covered with gold. All, everything so it, everything the, is gold. So in that lamplight, it would glow. Yeah. There would be yeah. a radiance apparent. Yeah. And an otherworldliness, mm-hmm. a divineness. A separate, I a mean, sense of having stepped into a separate some, place. Something very mm-hmm. valuable, very precious, very holy. I mean, everything glittered with gold. The lampstand itself was solid gold. Mm-hmm. You'd take one big chunk of gold and you'd hammer it out until it made the shape of this lampstand. So, and by the way, just as a, an aside, trivia wise, that lampstand has a different number of candles on it than the lampstand you use at Hanukkah. What? Yeah. Go check it out. We won't talk about that right now. Check it out. It makes it <laughs> yeah. 25. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, but it's this lampstand that has these lights on it and, uh, and it lights the whole inside of the thing. So okay. get to the Ark of the Covenant. Well, so then you go to the end of that front room and you get to the curtain, you get to the big fat, massive. This is the point of the whole thing. Yeah. And then back there is symbolically the presence of God himself. And so inside that room, inside that back room is the most holy place or other places it calls it's called the holy the of holy holies. of holies. Think holy is holy mm-hmm. now you got holy of holies so now you're symbolically coming into the very presence of god and there in that room are two different things which are fascinating two different things yeah because we have the we have the oh, incense well okay the we have the the altar of incense right which on which the incense the very specific incense was burned which would right. produce a cloud which the scripture says covers the mercy seat and that incense, that cloud of incense represents the prayers. Yep. The prayers that go up, you know, if you know, incense, it's smoke that that goes up smoke rises and it's, and it's smoke that smells good as opposed to the smoke that's clouding our skies right now in Utah. And then the (laughs) actual Ark of the covenant, the container that held these massively important reminders of the, the deepest holy things. Yeah. And yeah. and this is we could spend a lot of time talking about these. And that's why the writer says of these things we can't now speak in detail. But it. what was in there? Yeah, it what says was in, that what there was, was a it? golden urn holding the manna. Wow. Which if you think about this, at the time of the writing of Hebrews of the first century, it had been a couple thousand years. Mm-hmm. Fifteen hundred years probably yeah, since that probably. manna was put in there. Yeah. Uh, it, if it was still there, but that opens a whole nother line of thought. Uh, <laughs> well, because we, we know there. when they picked them in, it would spoil after a day. Right. Unless it was right. the Sabbath, and then it would last two days. Right. No, what I'm referring to is the fact that the, the Ark of the Covenant was disappeared at the oh, time of the yeah, fall sure. of Jerusalem, and yeah. we don't know what it? happened to it. But that's another yeah, line of thought. So anyway, that's... inside the Ark... I saw the movie, so I have... know it is. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Inside the Ark, we have that golden urn of manna, right. and then we have Aaron's staff that budded, which yeah, is a fascinating yeah. thing. Why is that in there? Yeah, yes. And then the tablets <laughs> of the covenant, the stone tablets on which are written that reduction of those 10 statements, the word of the God. The very things Moses brought down the mountain. Written by the finger of God. Yeah. So those are inside this golden box mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the deepest, most holy place inside the tabernacle. Yep. Yep. 
And the writer says, no, we're not going to talk about those in any more detail. Because we just don't. But they are a copy and a shadow of the true things. Yeah. Now, you listeners, go back and read those accounts of those things. You can find the account of Aaron's staff budding in Numbers 17. That's a great story. Uh, And then he says, and uh, and above it all were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the Mm -hmm. mercy seat. Take your concordance and look up who are the cherubim and where do they show up in the scripture and what are they doing? What seems to be their purpose? It's not those fat little angels flying around on Valentine's Day. Cute fat little babies. (laughs) They are terrifying. Yeah. Uh, beings they are an order of angels that we don't entirely understand but we know that they are associated with the holiness of god yeah and the statues of them in gold are posed in such a way as to show them as protecting and caring for looking at it focused on focused on the mercy seat the mercy seat the place where god he says i will meet with you there yeah over the mercy so so to be clear the ark is like a big cedar chest in sense Mm -hmm. okay but it, it doesn't have a top. The top is the, is the mercy seat, this thing that's on but top that of it covers removable. it. But that's removable because it's like a lid. Right, because they put these things in it. Yeah, So in a, and when you put this lid on top of it, the lid had these two statues of cherubim bowed down, covering the stuff inside, actually, in a sense, guarding the very yeah, preciousness of what's inside. Yeah, they're actually looking at it. Yeah. They're yeah. looking at the, the mercy seat. And, and you can read that. It, that's all spelled out in the Old Testament. Oh, what that's read like. it all in Exodus 25, 26, But 27. I might mention as well, from an ancient king perspective, mm-hmm. a mercy seat was where the king sat in judgment of people and people right. came to him. So, right. So when it says seat, it really does mean seat. It means actually symbolically with God, although he doesn't right. have a physical presence. It's it's where he, he is, sits. It's where he sits and yeah. reigns from. And this is where he runs everything from in that right. sense. So in a way, his seat sits on top of the tangible evidence of his promises. Ah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So we uh, we just don't like first right. We just don't have time to speak of these things in detail. So but, you study it on your own and see what you find. But when you find that these are a, a copy or a shadow that teaches us something of larger realities, you can sit here. You know, you can sit on the ground and look at this stuff all day and just go. Wow, I think I'm getting more out of this all the time. It was a a great visible teaching tool about being in the nearness and presence of God. Well, and let me just say here, just probably one of the things we, we can say for certain is that this Holy of Holies, this ark containing the word of God and the bread of God and the life of God, Mm -hmm. that stem Mm -hmm. that sprung to life really represents the deepest place of our heart. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll just let that sit there right. where we meet with God according to his mercy. Yeah. And so let, let's just let that stew. Well, let that stew. <laughs> There's just so much to learn here. By the way, although he hasn't mentioned it here, he will later, you can't even get in the front entrance of the tent. Unless you get past the place where they make sacrifices That's for right. sin. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So, so this this all has. I mean, as as you as you go from the outside dirty world and you go into the front of this place, you have to get past get the sacrifice past the for sin. Mm-hmm. Then you have to get in where you've got the loaves and you've mm-hmm. got the light, and then you go past that curtain, that big massive veil, and then you're into the holy. So, in the process of coming from us on the outside world to God, there's a whole bunch of really deliberate. Um, teaching tools mm-hmm. he uses to tell us about Well, that. and the space goes from large and open to semi-private to profoundly separated. Very, in, Yeah, yeah. And very intimate with God. So, yeah. okay, so that that's kind of, that's the picture. He's trying to show us the picture of the Old Covenant. 
And then he goes on in verse 6. You okay. Want to read from verse so six? these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section yeah. performing their ritual duties. But into the second, so he's mm. talking about that holy of holies, only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional for sins of the people. Yeah. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic of the present age. Mm. Oh, he has opened a secret here he for us. Yeah. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, mm. but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Mm. Oh, this is so important. This is big time. Because he's just saying all of that stuff pertains to things that are temporary, that are here and now. Food and drink and washings, right? We get hungry, we get thirsty, we get dirty. Those all pertain to here and now. Here and now but it's yeah. a picture of something larger and eternal. Yeah. And uh, a, a, a different, what do you want to call, a more profound telios, a more profound A end, completeness. A completeness. Yeah. yeah. And you because won't find said, that completeness in uh, this. All of those arrangements, the gifts, the sacrifices, everything could not complete, could not be enough. Right. To change the conscience, the internal heart yeah. of the worshiper. And get you to the intentional goal right. of where God wants to bring you. But they all point to the fact that we uh, we will continually get hungry. We will continually be thirsty. We will continually get dirty. And we mm-hmm. need to deal with that thing. Need yeah. to deal with that stuff. They all point to our continual need. Yeah. And interestingly enough, even in that first section where you have the bread and you have the light, both of those are, are daily needs for us. Yes daily needs for us, which are provided by God and the way into God's presence, God in the, in the process of us getting to his presence will provide for us understanding and light and provide what we need on a daily basis. And Jesus said that in the sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, God, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All that other stuff will come. You know, you'll, you'll be able to fill your belly. Don't worry about that. So he says something really interesting here when he says, and all these things are just regulations for the body at the very end of verse 10, Mm -hmm. but imposed until the time of reformation. Yes. They all point to something that is going to happen. That word reformation is such an interesting word. It only mm-hmm. shows mm-hmm. up here yeah, it's in, in the entire New Testament. It means until things are finally put right. Yep. Finally yep. set straight. Yep. And he's bringing us back to new covenant again. Yeah. So Because again, that's the fulfillment of God's promise. All not of the those old covenant. things are put to rest and finally set straight in the sacrifice of Jesus, yeah. which he's going to unpack for us in the coming chapters. Yeah. So, so everything that you used to do in the old, the old tabernacle and temple, you know, the gifts and the sacrifices they're offered, but they just cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Mm-hmm. So what do they do instead? Well, they remind us of our problem. They, they kind of right. prick our conscience about our need, but they don't solve our conscience about our need. But he's implying that this new covenant is so radically new, maybe it will. And it does. And he'll make that it very clear. It will finally put everything right. Put everything right. Yeah. Yeah. Blot out our sins. That's what he's going to do through all this stuff. So, so the old covenant is very instructive 
I mean, oh, and what goes very. on in the temple is very instructive. You know, I've always thought if I could, if I could have a time machine, I could go back some more. I'd like to go back to the temple, like maybe during Passover and just hang out there and watch what goes on and then draw all these symbolic teachings about the biggest reality from heaven. As I watch this and say, you know, that, that actually right there, that's showing me about this and that's showing me about this. And I'm seeing this with eyes that are informed by the Holy Spirit. I'm understanding what I'm seeing. Gosh, isn't it a drag? The fact that most Jews came to this whole thing and they didn't catch the big picture, although this is trying you to know, paint the many, big picture. many, many did. Many did. No, exactly. And you see that at the coming of Jesus, there's people who've been waiting for him. They right. got and it. And they recognized him. Yeah, they got it. It wasn't impossible. It wasn't a mystery that God did not intend to be solved. See, I, they got this it. is still true. People with a heart after God who really want to know him, the Spirit grants them recognition yeah. when yeah. they encounter him. People who are pursuing a ritual for the sake of their own righteousness miss it. Yep. Yeah. And that is still true. Yeah. There's a blindness. It's a willful, intentional mm-hmm. blindness that just keeps you from being able to recognize. If I do the, the thing well it. enough, I'll be pleasing to God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was by the time of Jesus, that's how this law, this new covenant had just gotten twisted. It's like these just aren't things that are tutors to take you to Christ. They thought this was actually the means by which right. you came to God by doing these things well enough. You know, and Jesus, Jesus came out against the Pharisees many times, kind of hitting them with this very thought. You know, you think you look in the scriptures, you think in them you find salvation, you know, by doing what they say. Yeah, you, you got it. You got it wrong. They're important to do, but because they're great teachers about the larger reality. So don't completely disrespect them and disregard them. But they're not the means toward fixing your conscience. Okay, so God spoke to that definitively when during the life of Jesus, the temple was still standing. Apparently during the time that the book of Hebrews was being written, the temple was still standing. Yeah, apparently. But historically, in 70 AD, when the Romans finally said Mm -hmm, enough, mm -hmm. they leveled the temple and took it down. And it has never been rebuilt never been rebuilt so you know god spoke and said that old system is obsolete and passed away because i've given you this new arrangement in christ yeah yeah uh, so you know we talk about we a graphic demonstration these things historically <laughs> so you know there was that i don't know 35 40 years between the time jesus died and was resurrected and the temple was destroyed when History was moving forward. And and Jesus predicted it would happen, not a stone upon another. So he knew it was coming to an end and it was going to crash and burn. Even though those at the time that conversation came up because people said, aren't these great stones? Isn't this a great building? Okay, so we got to press forward, right? Because we're (laughs) like totally out of time. So just look at where we're going next. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. But when Christ appeared (gasps) as a high priest. when Christ appeared. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We'll start into that next week. As a, as a high priest of the good, good things, things to, to come. come. Yeah. <laughs> Every good you thing You got your in old him. covenant and your old covenant priest. Now you got your new covenant and your new covenant priest. Jesus himself, our high priest and our sacrifice, who brings us through the curtain, through the veil, into the very presence of God. Oh, amen. And we're going we're gonna to dwell on that a lot for the next couple weeks. So read ahead. It's just it's spine tingling. So come back and join us. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And this is More More Than Than Ink. More Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. 
Oh. Oh, oh. okay. Oh. Uh-oh, this could get dangerous. <laughs> <laughs>